Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies. And with me today is Rodrigo Favela, who is a partner of HCX, a consulting firm in Mexico. I have known Rodrigo for (laughs) 25 years. And let me tell you a little bit about him before I welcome him to the program. I met Rodrigo uh, when he was with Pemex, the Mexican refining company. He has over 20 years of experience and expertise in strategic planning, technology, business development, investment, operations, and solutions for the energy and environmental sectors. He has written articles and given uh, speeches on many of these subjects and participated actually as a co-author of a groundbreaking book called Air Quality in the Mexico Megacity, an integrated assessment with Mario Molina back in 2002. He has more than 15 years of experience working within Pemex in different responsibilities. And from 2007 to 2010, he served as planning vice president for Pemex Refining. He is a chemical engineer with a degree from UNAM in Mexico and a master's degree on process and system designs from Imperial College in London. Rodrigo, welcome to the program. Hi, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So HCX recently completed a study for the Fuels Institute in the U.S., and it was called Mexico's Energy Reform impact of Mexico's deregulation and liberalization of the fuels market. Can you tell us, there's so much that's been happening uh, in Mexico over the last few years. This study, I think, really sort of kind of went into that uh, and the impacts. So can you talk to us about the key findings from the study? And was there anything in the, the study and report that surprised you and the research team in completing this? Well, I think, yes, we did a Mexican study on, in terms of the liberalization of the fuels market. Uh, this was done uh, for the Fuel Institute. We did this in 2019, and the start of 2019, we finished it uh, about one year ago. Uh, the study covered both the well, regulatory analysis, fuel demand, fuel distribution, uh, fuel retail, and vehicle fleet. And it was a very comprehensive study. Things have really continued to change. As you know, Mexico in 2015 uh, opened up the, uh, through a Mexican uh, energy reform, opened, paved the way for a liberalized open market to ensure the production of supply of power and fuel requirements in the future. As you know, the reform allows for private ventures to participate in the entire fuel uh, value change. Before that, we have uh, this was followed by a predominance of the state in the sector, usually through state-owned uh, companies like Pemex or CFE, which used to internal systems to regulate their operations and had limited resources to develop the market. That's why uh, liberalization or a different way to for others to participate in the market was needed. No? Also, as you know, in 2018, we had a change in government that has really challenged you know, the energy reform is trying to foster the Pemex and TFE again. You know? So what I'm going to talk about is more, uh, not just in terms of the, the findings of the story, but also I want to comment on how things have developed since the last year. 
In terms of uh, regulation and fuel demand, in Mexico is one of the largest, uh, is about the third largest uh, fuel market in the world, and is still one of the few countries that has uh, still growing no, in terms of fuel consumption, in terms of uh, transport-based gasoline uh, fuels. We consume mostly gasoline and diesel. And there are few ethanol or biofuels consumption in the market. And also we have about 3% of LPG and natural gas vehicles as well. Hybrid vehicles are still coming into Mexico. And since last year, because of the different problems we had with the supply of fuels, this is growing as well. In terms of regulation, Mexico is very similar to the, to the U.S. in many ways. Because and mostly because we are partners, trade partners with the U.S. and Canada. So for the last 20 years, we have been trying to homogenize or trying to keep up with the different changes of quality and vehicle requirements to keep up the Mexican market uh, to be able to cope or to be similar to the U.S. and Canada. In terms of fuels, we are very similar. We are we haven't enforced fully the diesel uh, ultra-low-sulfur fuel standards because there haven't been enough changes to the existing refineries. The regulation is the same. No? In terms of uh, regulatory framework on matters of fuel efficiency and emissions, we are very similar to the American ones, except that uh, the U.S. does not adhere to international treaties on matters of emissions and global warming, as does Mexico. And the other uh, big difference is that uh, Mexico is a little bit lax in terms of, of uh, fuel efficiency standards. We concentrate more on emissions from exhaust pipes and minimum efficiency limits for newly made cars. And there are no published plans beyond 2025. So we are similar, but we are still a little bit behind the U.S. in these matters as well. Mexico and the U.S. have become uh, very dependent on each other in this matter. Mexico imports about between 70 to 80% of their fuel needs, and mostly from the U.S. The U.S. refining industry also depends largely on Mexico because most of the exports from the U.S. go also into Mexico. So it's a very codependent uh, situation. In terms of uh, other uh, things we found out about transport distribution activities, we have seen, well, in terms of private uh, investment, we have seen that transport and distribution activities will remain, uh, at least in the short term, mostly in, uh, in uh, the hands of Temex. This year, we will see at least three new large-sized terminals, import terminals, to be put online. And these terminals are from private operators like Valero and uh, BP. And we'll continue to see this, uh, the importance of uh, private operators importing fuels outside of Mexico will continue to grow. Uh, right now, it's about uh, 30 to 40% of the total imports of uh, fuels that go into Mexico come from private operators and the rest come mm -hmm. from Pemex. And this will continue to grow. And even though the new government has very adamant in terms of trying to foster or make Pemex uh, stronger, no? we have seen that this hasn't actually happened. No? Pemex is still not producing enough fuel internally. 
and the amount of, uh, of imported fuels by private companies continues to grow. And the amount of uh, retail uh, gas stations with uh, uh, other brand names apart from Pemex continue to grow in the country as well. So in any sense, I think this is irreversible. This trend mm-hmm. will continue. We're going to here to stay. The government has also tried to foster Pemex or to help Pemex by constructing a new refinery, the Dos Bocas refinery, which uh, everybody agrees that this doesn't make any sense. Um, Including me. And <laughs> <laughs> everybody, except the, I don't except get. The I don't know why we met. <laughs> huh? so, sure, let's build a refinery but, in Tabasco. Sounds good. Exactly. So it makes no sense in in terms of uh, adding additional capacity because you have already uh, six refines that you're not using at 100%. No? So you need to, it, it will be better money spent in trying to do correct maintenance and, and upgrading the, the existing refineries instead of building a new one. And the point behind that, the government is present, is trying to foster the sovereignty of energy sovereignty of Mexico. But even with the new refinery, we won't even have, we, won't, we will continue to import fuels in the long term. What I see from all of this is that uh, everything will continue to, the trend for liberalization of the market will continue. And there, mm-hmm. I don't think there's uh, any going back. So you're saying that energy reform going to happen. It's kind of done, um, although there might be it might be not not be as not happen in the way that it was contemplated under the last presidency, but nevertheless, the bell can't be unrung, so to speak. Yes, I think the, mm-hmm. we have gone too far into liberalization. There are too many interests already in the in investment yeah. to import mm-hmm. fuels. People are u- getting used to having uh, more competition, and people are seeing that. Uh, Last year, we had a, a real um, problem with the supply of fuels. And this was caused mainly, we have, as you know as well, Mexico has a, not large, but a, a problem with black market fuels. No? There's uh, This has grown mm-hmm. in the last 10 to 15 years no? to alarming proportions, no? linked also to the drug cartels and other problems. So, yeah. What ha- happened when uh, the new government came in, what it did is trying to stop the, the black market. So what it did is, because most of it was stolen from the pipeline, we have very uh, specialized, technical specialized black market operators. No? So they steal from the pipeline directly and they resell into gas stations. No? So what happened is that uh, he stopped the pipeline. So large parts of the country were out of fuel no, for uh, maybe one month. And what happened with this is that, uh, interestingly enough, the only fuel stations that had fuels to sell were those that didn't import through Pemex. They were the, the private importers who had fuels because they had they supplied uh, through other means besides pipelines. The interesting thing about this is that in the end, what happened is that this gave a, another push towards liberalization because people were seeing that uh, they were most trustworthy and reliable other means of supply other than Pemex. Interesting. Uh, also, the, 
the, the gas station uh, organizations, what they did is they saw that Pemex was not a reliable supplier. No? They lost a lot of money during this uh, lockdown. And what, had, and what they started doing is trying to consolidate new supply chain operations by themselves directly. In 2019, surprisingly enough, we saw a large growth in uh, imports from private companies and a consolidation of large importers into the country. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying that this will, will continue in the future. The problem with the government is that because the state of the Pemex financial uh, status and the lack of a budget, and it, Pemex is in a really fragile state right now. I mean, there's, it's going to be very difficult for the government through Pemex to really guarantee the supply of fields in the future. So that's another reason why we will continue to depend on other operators as well no? to, to, to make this role. Including importers or, or, or exporters from the United States. Yes, exactly. Because there's, no, most, most there's, there's no way to do it. So that's what I wanted to ask you about is um, because you mentioned the, you know, the stat- status of the refinery upgrades to be able to produce ultra-low sulfur diesel. And then you also mentioned the, the tobacco, you know, refining project, you know, that the president is supporting. I mean, that's his, his home state, as I understand it. So we've had ULSD, ultra-low sulfur diesel for, I don't know, 15 years now, maybe a little less. These plans to upgrade the Pemex refineries have been on the books, I would say, since about, I mean, you were at Pemex when these plans were developed. So it would have been 2005, 2006, 2007, with, you know, to upgrade those refineries to, to produce ULSD and follow the U.S., which was in the process at that time of, of fully implementing ULSD. So that was 2005, 2006, 2007. Now it's 2020. And, you know, the progress in doing that is slow. So my question is, is that ever going to happen? So that's the first question. And secondly, it's like, yeah, what up with that Tabasco refinery? I mean, obviously that's <laughs> more politically politically motivated and, and, you know, you can understand it from that perspective, but does the world in a time of fuel demand declining, you know, largely everywhere in the world is, is kind of a wash, especially right now with the pandemic. I mean, you know, the world is a wash in fuel. Um, does the world, you know, does he not get that the world, you know, doesn't, you know, like what's the strategy here? You build a Tabasco refinery, but the other ones aren't done. You know, it's, what is the, the thinking, and do you think those projects will ever be completed, or will the, or will they just be imports from the U.S.? Well, 2008, uh, we or 2005, really, we started uh, these projects when I was in, in Pemex at that yeah. time. What we did is we made some changes to the existing refineries, and we were able to supply the major metropolitan areas with ultra low sulfur diesel and with ultra low sulfur gasoline. But you needed the rest of, to modify the rest of the refineries in order to supply the rest of the country. So these projects were made, they were signed off, approved, and they started the bidding process. And they were supposed to be finished by 2013. 
because of budgetary restrictions and changes in in the in Pemex and the government, these were delayed, and some of them began construction as well. But in 2016, just after the publication of the energy reform, the Ministry of Finance uh, really stopped budgeting these projects. And what happened is that Pemex also stopped the construction of these projects as well. At that time, we have completed the ultra-low sulfur gasoline. So all the gasoline in Mexico is ultra-low sulfur gasoline in mm-hmm. 2012, I think. The ultra-low sulfur diesel were stopped. What happened next, and that's interesting, the production or the processing level from the refineries has really uh, shrunk about half. So we are only mm-hmm. producing about half the production we used to produce in 2010. Wow. In, in, in the refineries. That's how bad the, the refineries have been running, no? and the performance has been going down. Yeah. So in that sense, the fuel demand has been supplied by import. So in, in a general <laughs> term, the ultra loss of diesel has grown because all the imports are ultra loss of diesel. So in general terms, we have the, we have more compliance of soldiers of diesel now because of the input rather than from mm-hmm. coming from production. Yeah, I guess is so there any it, point in finishing the project? <laughs> Just well, keep it uh, I mean, <laughs> if you want to, they're in a cross uh, crossroad. Pemex, if you yeah. really wants to have a feasible and long-term uh, lasting refining system, they have to invest in the existing refineries. There's no way that they can leave yeah. them like that. No? Not only yeah. in terms of uh, ultra-oil sulfur diesel production, no? but also in terms of fuel oil production as well. No? You, you also know that by 2000 and, well, this year, uh, there are no, uh, the last market for fuel, for ultra, well, for high uh, sulfur fuel oil was the uh, uh, marine uh, fuels, no? The, uh, yeah, yeah, IMO 2020. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Pemex is, uh, cannot, if they decide to increase the production of their finance, which they haven't uh, objected to do that, they're going to produce more fuel oil no? and more ultralos of, or more high sulfur diesel. So, they have to make changes to their finance. There, there's no way they can operate them at a higher rate under these conditions. But the problem is that they don't have any money. There's going to be a need for a different solution. No, the only solution we have right now is through imports. Yeah, but where is yeah, and where is that money and investment coming from in a sector that is, from a global standpoint, you know, really poised, already is undergoing tremendous change, and, and is poised to go further. You know, with the push for decarbonization, for example. You know, moving into new areas, new new fuels, new vehicle uh, combinations like electric vehicles, uh, for example. And that that leads me to my to my next question, which is, you know, how do you see? We talked about ultra low sulfur diesel, but but how do you see fuel quality evolving in Mexico generally? You know, especially with the use of biofuels, but also the rise of these other technologies such as electric vehicles. So that's the first question. The second question is, what do you think the vision for fuels and vehicles and transport should be in, in Mexico? 
from your standpoint, with your background and experience and everything that you you've done, there's kind of like the reality of it now versus how it should progress with all these sort of uh, global trends that are happening. Well, Mexico is no exempt from the the trends, biofuels and hybrids, carbon cars Mm -hmm. and electric cars and natural gas vehicles, fleet, have been growing. I mean, they're still in a very, well, there is is a very small proportion, but it's still growing very fast. And I think most of the things we're seeing today, the lack of, uh, we're going to continue this trend. Even after the pandemic, the, we are going to continue to see this type of fuels or energy sources grow and because of the market conditions. People will prefer uh, as vehicles, hybrid vehicles, for example, have uh, gone down in prices. People are, are preferring hybrid vehicles because they don't want to get into the discussion of uh, this political discussion about the sovereignty of fuels into Mexico and, and they just want to drive a car. And people yeah. prefer, if they have the money, they prefer to buy a hybrid car so they don't have to go to the gas station every week. They go every okay. month or every two months. So that's the type of decisions. The other things is we have seen the growth of uh, natural gas uh, vehicle fleets. No? Uh, natural gas in Mexico, is, uh, has a very low price, the same as in the U.S., huh? and has been growing uh, in a very fast pace the, the number of uh, car fleets, commercial car fleets using natural gas. We expect that this, continue, this will continue to grow as well. And biofuels, it has always been the, the same question. No? We have a strong uh, sugarcane lobby in Mexico, and in some regions, especially on the Gulf, Mexico. We are seeing a growth of the use of the bioethanol. I think that will continue to, to be done. From my point of view is that uh, the market forces will continue to uh, model energy landscape in Mexico. I think this, uh, the needs for people to, to move and the, the needs for uh, different types of fuels and, and needs depending on, on their location in Mexico people will continue to use them and will continue to look for them. I don't see a very structured policy in the Mexican context right now. The new government is not very structured in terms of this, of uh, fuel quality or fuel diversity. It's very focused on trying to foster and to make Pemex strong again. So in that yeah. sense, in the near future, the market... Uh, Forces will continue to develop the market in Mexico as the only source of a real change in terms of fuel quality and fuel diversity. Your comment about hybrids is, is really interesting and what's motivating people to buy them. So could those same motivations work to help support the growth of electric vehicles? I mean, one of the difficulties, I, I would think, and you can correct me, is that if you are in a single-family home and you can install the, the infrastructure, it makes, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But most people are not. So the, so the infrastructure is going to, be the, going to be the issue. And then also the, the vehicle cost. But do you, do you see Mexico growing as a potential market in the future for electric vehicles? Not in the short term. Uh, 
as you yeah. say, that uh, there's not enough infrastructure. People are, are don't have the real uh, income to make yeah. this happen. But hybrids, for example, it's a good example. They don't need uh, a lot of infrastructure. They just need to put cars to be affordable. But in this way, they they cannot they can cease to depend on the on the on the oil equation. And most people are looking at that. The other factor that we have. Uh, like in the rest of the world, is that the the, the large growth of Uber and other the ride sharing. I mean, this has really changed. At least in in the major metropolitan areas, uh, younger people are not buying cars. They prefer to, to use Uber, and this is a large tendency in the world. Uh, if you look at the BP yeah. technology study, huh? they published every two two years. One of the key, yeah. one of the Interesting findings is that the impact of uh, uh, IT technologies, no? information technologies, on on the growth in energy. No? We are seeing that this has yeah. a real effect in terms of efficiency. No? Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, you you wouldn't necessarily think that, but it's really amazing how Mexico is uh, also in that trend as well, especially in the city. I mean, people are very practical in every. In, all over the world, no? They, they take the the best options available for them. No? I mean, and they're not mm-hmm. exempt. People are connected worldwide, so they they take advantage of what they have. No, we will continue to see the the le- the least complex uh, or the least or the most practical things to to come into place into Mexico. That's why I say the market forces are the ones that are going to be shaping mainly the market in the future. No, the one thing that I I remember from working on a, a, a project a number of years ago in Mexico that's so so interesting because you're saying, you know, people just want to to drive a car. And at one time, and you can tell me if this is still the case, there really was a kind of an issue with secondary vehicle sales, you know, from the United States into into Mexico. That was an issue from a from an emissions standpoint. But the other thing that really surprised me in terms of the practicality of the drivers, one of the car companies told me that, you know, people will walk into the dealership and, you know, and it's like, no, I don't want that. I want, I don't want that side airbag. I don't want, you know, take these safety features off. I don't want to, I don't want to pay for them. And, you know, here in the U.S., I mean, it's not an option. I mean, you're buying the car, you're buying the car with the features, you know, like the base features that the (laughs) auto industry is required by law to provide you. You cannot be ripping out (laughs) airbags or not paying for airbags. And I just thought that that was, you know, it's kind of an interesting contrast. And of course, it's driven by income ability to to pay. Do you still see that kind of dynamic? Do you still see that dynamic with the used car situation? And, you know, do you still sort of see or hear about that sort of dynamic? with, you know, Mexican vehicle purchasers? Yeah, um, anyway. of course. And this is another way to explain why uh, people really want to, I mean, the, the need for transportation is really high. People need yeah. other means of transportation. We have undersupplied uh, this need in, in our country. So people are trying to look for ways to to transport themselves. And uh, yeah. the use of uh, used cars coming from the U.S. is really a good option for the most of the Mexicans no? and, and that have not the, the right income. No? So at least they have mm-hmm. a car. And, and other right. ways to negotiate the, 
the uh, with the dealerships, no? And the dealerships are also, if you go into a dealership, you they both have the new cars and the used car sales. So they have taken this as their own way to 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 maintain the their economy, no? So dealerships also sell a large part of the used cars as well. So my last question for you is. You mentioned earlier at the, you know, at the start, you were talking about how the U.S. looks at or regulates climate change or their relationship to treaties versus Mexico. So, I mean, Mexico imp- implements and tries to comply, and the U.S. is kind of. Eh. <laughs> um, what I, I wanted to come back to that and ask you in this last question is, how do you see action on climate change in in Mexico shaping up? In the near term, I mean, especially with with AMLO, you know, the the president and his sort of agenda and views about things, but also the 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 fact that Mexico is a signatory to the the Paris Agreement. So, how do you see climate action shaping up and in the in the near term over these next five to ten years? Mexico has been a very strong uh, supporter of uh, climate change uh, initiatives in the last twenty years, and and. Uh, the last phase of the reform, we had a new um, emissions regulation uh, being presented and asking for the, the main uh, operators in the value chain of oil and gas to make emissions reduction plans, and they had to comply with this. Huh? What has happened with the new government is that it's not in the priorities, in the main priority. So this has been really uh, lagging behind. In any case, uh, most of the large companies are already pursuing this, continue to pursue these uh, activities because of their interest and because they need, they know they have to comply anyway. So they're going ahead with this type of uh, uh, reduction plan. So large operators like uh, Genova or really or the new uh, oil producers in Mexico are trying to comply with this uh, new legislation as well. So this is continuing even though it's not a, a priority for the government. It's interesting. The final, 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 final question is, it is kind of like a bit of a dichotomy because he doesn't seem like a super big supporter, and yet the activity continues. It's an interesting kind of dichotomy, I suppose. It, 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 this is an interesting time in Mexico because the government uh, actively has said that it, it, will, not, it will only support or give priority to Pemex and CFE and some other uh, sovereignty issues, and, and but it's leaving the the rest of the of the participants in the market to do as they want. He's saying that they're not going to support them, but but it has given it's not trying to uh, limit these these things. So in in my point of view, the real transformation of Mexico is really the private sector, that it has to organize itself and become a stronger and make decisions by their by themselves, uh, not just wait for the government to make the policy, no? which was a, a very strong uh, policymaker in the in the past. No? But now we're what we're seeing is that uh, it's a turn of the private operators or the other participants in the market to to make their own way. No? And so agree how they're going to do it. And agree how they're going to do it. And they're getting uh, organized. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting time in Mexico. No? 
because this yeah, will know, make again yeah. a liberalized more a liberalization more strong because it all the participants will really want to make sure that this that they can com- continue to compete and make the rules by themselves. Huh? If the government yeah. is not going to make them or force them, they want to continue to do it. All right, that's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Rodrigo so much for being on the show today and talking to us about the situation in Mexico. And if you're looking for more analysis on future fuels issues, head to my website, futurefuelstrategies.com, and sign up for my free bi-weekly newsletter. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.